Hey, so just a quick programming note here before we get started. This is actually part one of a two-part podcast, where in the first part, we're going to talk to former Texas offensive lineman Dan Neal, and in the second part, we're going to have a conversation with former Texas kicker Phil Dawson. So just make sure you stick around for both parts after the break, and uh, we'll see you out there. Offsets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks the hole. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today I'm joined by another very special guest in, uh, in preparation for Texas OU this weekend. And it's uh, former Longhorn great Dan Neal. Dan, how's it going? It's do- I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, we, we're, we're, we're excited to have you on. You're actually the first uh, former player we've had on the podcast. We're still pretty young, and uh, you know, we're, we're excited to get your thoughts on the game. Um, well, I'll say this much. At least you know, as far as former players go, you will only go up from here. So, <laughs> uh, Dan's being modest. He is a he is an all-time Texas great and a, and, a, and a hell of an NFL player as well. Um, and I don't know how many of our listeners are, are – of that age or, or younger or older or whatever, but um, I encourage anyone to go watch Dan Neal playing a Texas uniform. He was something special. Um, all right. So let's start off with, uh, with a little preview of the game and then we'll get into some other stuff later. Um, the big matchups that everyone's been talking about have been along the offensive and defensive lines for both sides. Uh, Texas, Seems to have a pretty solid defensive line. Uh, Oklahoma's offensive line has been a little suspect this year, which has led to Spencer Rattler struggling a little bit. And the opposite could be true for, for Texas as well. I mean, that their, their offensive line has struggled a little bit this year, and Oklahoma might have the best defensive line in the Big 12. So why don't mm-hmm. we start with Texas along the offensive line? Denzel Okafor obviously went down uh, against TCU. And they brought uh, Andre Carrick in at right tackle. They moved Derek, uh, Derek Kerstetter inside. What do you think about the offensive line's chances on Saturday? How are they going to mesh together? And, and what does that kind of change do to an offensive line's cohesion? Well, you know, it, 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 it can kind of go either way, honestly. It, it, sometimes it's, it's difficult playing against new guys. But why I think this is a little bit different is – Kerstetter's not a new guy. Uh, he's a guy that's played centers, played tackle, moving in the left guard, not a big deal. He's been around. He's worked with these guys before, so I don't worry about that at all. Um, Carrick out at right tackle, you know, he's got he's only working with really one guy, and that's the, the right guard. Uh, besides that, tackle's kind of out there by himself a lot on the island uh, very often, and I thought when he did come in – when he did come into the game against TCU, that he played very well. And, and I think the offensive line, you could argue, maybe even played better as that game went on, even after Okafor leaving. That's not a knock on Okafor. He's a good player. It's just they really started running the ball really well against TCU and seemed like they kind of came together, especially that last drive, kind of put it away. Yeah, it, it was it was good to see that. Obviously, Bijan helps. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's quite the special player. Uh, I don't know if I've ever really seen anything quite like him in college football. I, I, I was talking to, uh, Dan, uh, sorry, I was talking to Will Kane yesterday, who's a, a Fox news host and former ESPN radio guy and big Texas fan. And we were, we were sitting there trying to figure out who does Bijan remind us of, mm-hmm. and we couldn't really nail it down. I, my, mine was sort of a, a hybrid between, Ricky Williams and Reggie Bush, just because he's got the power and he's got the, he's got the shiftiness and the speed, but then, you know, Ricky was also his own special thing. And I don't want to take anything away from that. Maybe Saquon <laughs> Barkley, but you've got a little bit more experience watching running backs. What, what do you think about Bijan? What, who, do, who does he remind you of? You know, as you talked about kind of, when you said hybrid, the guys, two guys that I had thought of were Jamal Charles and Ricky Williams. Um, you know, it's same thing as you did with Bush. Bush and Charles, both speedy guys. He certainly has another gear that a lot of backs don't have. 
but his ability to run inside the tackle, you know, that toughness, that spin move, I, I just love watching it because he's got that thing down to perfection. He's You're not getting a clean hit on him. That's how he can carry the ball 40 times a game, not get beat up. As you watch him run, that speed, the shiftiness, as you mentioned, he just doesn't seem to get hit. Uh, I, he just – you said a special player. I think I think the whole country's starting to see it. And he's going to be moving up that Heisman list because the real deal is he is one of the best football players in college football, and he's just fun to watch. Absolutely. I haven't had this much fun watching somebody, honestly, since – might be Vince Young. Uh, that, was yeah. the last, that was the last player that I can remember watching in a Texas uniform that I was just like, okay, every time he touches the ball, you hold your breath. Yeah. Um, so that that's always fun, but let's let's move on a little bit to to the other side of the ball with uh, Texas's defensive line against Oklahoma's offensive line. I haven't gotten a chance to watch a lot of Oklahoma's offensive line. They uh, they're one of the teams that falls out of my purview right now, and I'm already kind of struggling to keep all the teams that I cover under uh, under one roof uh, <laughs> and, and stay up to date with that. So, uh, wh- what do you think are the are the biggest matchups along that front for for Texas, and, and what do you think they could potentially exploit with the Oklahoma offensive line? You know, I, I think the Oklahoma offensive line is better than maybe they've getting credit for. I, I did watch some of the Kansas State game, and I thought they did fairly well. Now, I don't know much about Kansas State, especially defensively, so I don't know what kind of players they have, but just generally watching it, I thought they played well against K-State, and, and I thought it was a good K-State team. I think if you kind of look at Oklahoma this year, where they struggle is when they do allow pressure to get the Rattler. Um and they don't do a good job holding up. Now, they're like every other team in college football. They've played a few games now, and an offensive line's had a chance to play together, and they're well coached. We know that the history of that line. They're getting better each week as well. Uh, I, I fully expect them to play pretty well against Texas. I think this is a, an improving team week by week. Uh, the one thing about it, I'll say generally speaking, is, as I mentioned, when they allow pressure to get the Rattler, he doesn't play as well. That would tell me is Texas wants to try to get some pressure on Rattler, and that's where Texas has struggled mightily this year. I mean, we really don't have a, a top-notch, outstanding pass rusher. We, we've got a few guys that have shown some flashes, but there's not that one guy this year, and, and we'd like to get in three-man fronts quite a bit. You're not going to get the Rattler in a three-man front. We're not a big blitzing team. So I'm kind of questioning, well, what's going to be this game plan to get pressure on Rattler because uh, I think if you try to get there with three and four guys, I think that old offensive line will hold up. Well, there's one other thing I want to get your uh, your opinion on, I guess, going into uh, this weekend. And obviously, you've gotten a chance to watch Texas for for a few weeks now. And Kyle Flood has been not only just a a great hire on the recruiting trail; he seems to be making mm-hmm. real progress with this line as the season go- has gone on. Yeah, they they got. Uh, kind of beat up against Arkansas, but it seems like they've, they've fixed some things. Um, what are your impressions of him as, a, as an offensive line coach as compared to the guys that were, that were there previously? Uh, you know what? I, I can say this. Like when I watch an offensive line, what I'm looking for is if guys look like they know what they're doing. <laughs> I know it sounds simple, but just there's that ability to say, all right, he, he has an idea who he's supposed to be blocking, especially in blitzing situations. The other thing you look for is when you have a zone team is how do they combination block? That's one of the most difficult things to do in, uh, in football, really, and for an offensive line is two guys to work together to two defenders because it, there's about a thousand different scenarios that can happen if the ball snapped. And your blocking area is really not men. And being able to sift through all that, not make mistakes, not letting guys get free, getting to the second level, it, it, as far as those type of things – they're getting better each week. You know, here's the thing about college football different than the NFL. If, if, if a player's struggling, you can't fire him and go hire somebody else. That's, a, that's who you got. And when this season started, the, fet, the five best offensive linemen Texas had were on the field. It's a, and they didn't play well the first couple weeks, and, and they'll tell you that. They played better this last week, and really against Tech, they played a lot better. So they're getting better with the same guys. Usually that's an indication that the coach is doing something right. Uh, and so I give Flood a ton of credit. I think this team's getting better, and I think they're doing some of those little things uh, pretty well and better each week. So how do you see the depth of this offensive line for Texas so far? Because obviously with Okafor going down, you kind of have to reshuffle things. And 
they, they they've they did struggle early this season. Like, like you talked about, Kyle Flood has made a big difference. But how how's the how's the depth? I mean, I, I'm I've been concerned with what happens if somebody else goes down. I'm not sure what else they can put <laughs> out there right now that that would help. And and it's uh, it, it is a big concern I think going forward. Well, yeah, I was just going to ask you. Um, have you gone to practice and seen the depth? Because I got no clue who else is on that offensive line except for the five guys that are out there. We haven't seen anybody else. You know, the only the only other thing we've seen is that um, the the uh, Anguli got, got hurt, and I forgot who they brought in for Anguli in that one game, and we haven't seen him since. In fact, I think it was a point where they decided we're going to move Kerstetter inside next time and Carrick outside if a guard goes down again. So that just gives you a little bit of insight to maybe where their depth is. And, and yes, I don't think they have much depth. You know, I, I don't know. I haven't been to practice. I haven't seen these other guys really play. Um, they haven't played this season. So it, it's, a, it's a question mark for this team. But I would say that that's probably a question mark for the team all the way around. There is no question that the talent in Texas is not where it has been in the past or where they want it to be. And, and I only say that because all, all you have to do is look at the draft. Uh, that is where the most talented football players go, and Texas has not put a lot of guys in the draft the last four or five years. Nor are you hearing a lot of number one picks on this team. Obviously, Robinson excluded, but it's just it, it, it's a, it, they got some talent. They don't have the depth they need to really you know push in places like the SEC. Yeah, and that's obviously going to be a very, very tough transition for Texas, I think, unless and, and Sark has already kind of tried to make that uh, adjustment. By, I mean, I think he's got like seven or eight defensive line commitments in this class alone, and he's he's looking to to nail a couple of um, impact offensive linemen down as well. So that's yeah. something that, that you have to be concerned about going into the future. But that's that's a that's a conversation for another day. We're in the here and now. <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, Texas is uh they're they're facing a big test this weekend, and it's one of the best rivalries in all of college football. I think anybody would agree to that. It's one of my favorites I mean I went to Ole Miss but the Egg Bowl doesn't even compare to this nothing nothing really <laughs> compares to this in, in the in the SEC except you know maybe Auburn Alabama something like that but it's one of the best out there and you are one yeah. of the lucky few has gotten a chance to play in it yeah what let's start here what are your best memories from the Red River Showdown or the Red River Shootout or whatever we're calling it these days <laughs> yeah I, I don't know either what it's called <laughs> All of it. I mean, that's all I could say is it, it was every moment of every game was special in that in, in that that situation, that game. Um, you know, I ended up my record against the Oklahoma was uh, one, two and one finishing regulation. I was one, one and two because my last year is the first year of overtime. So that just shows you how close this game is. And the one we won, if you remember when Stoney Carton laid the tackle on the one inch yard line. That's the one we want. So every one of these games that I played in came down to like three points and two of them in overtime. It's just there's no, I, nothing else like the intensity and the closeness of this game. When I said every memory is special, because it's in a neutral site and half the people are happier and half people are mad the whole game, it's an emotional roller coaster ride. You can't really get the stadium behind you because half is going to be against you. And so it just feels like when you're done with this game, you're, you're just – you're exhausted emotionally, mentally, physically. And, and it's just a, a, a totally different game that no one that hasn't been in it understands it. And I'm glad you mentioned that because there's a lot of players who are going into this game for Texas who have not played in that game. Yeah. Um, last year wasn't the same because of COVID, obviously, and – you know, Bijan, I don't think has played in a, in a real Red River uh, showdown yet, and and that's just one of many. What are your advice? What is your advice to those players going into this game that haven't experienced it yet? Be ready for a fight. It's going to be you. No one's going to not play to the highest level that they're capable of. It's just it is an intense football game in that. Never take your guard down because as soon as you do, that's when someone's going to hit you in the back of the head and you get ready for it because it's going to happen. You go you go watch the film of this game on Monday and you're going to see guys getting lit up that aren't looking because they don't realize what kind of game they're in. This isn't like any other football game. Uh, be ready. 
Okay. And I, I think that's about as good as advice as anybody else is going to get because um, there, th- th- this has been one of the most unexpected, th- th- so many unexpected things happen in this game that, that anybody can win. It's, 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 it's very cliche, but it's also very true. It's it, every, nothing else matters once you get onto that field in this game. There have been yep. games where Texas has come in favored and gotten their brakes beaten off and, and, and the opposite way. And then there's been games where Texas has been heavily favored and, you know, uh, barely squeaked by. So it's, it's a really exciting one um, with, with a lot of great players that have come through on both sides. Here's my next question for you. Who is the best player you have ever played with and who is the best player you've ever played against and why? In college. Um, in college, in this game or in my entire collegiate career? How about both? Why not both? Uh, I played I played with some really good football players. I mean, you know, just on, you know, it, it, obviously at Texas, you know, you had Ricky Williams, Priest Holmes. Uh, you know, we 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 had a bunch of good players. But I would probably say in college, Ricky was maybe the best player I played with. Um, he was special, and you knew that right away. He's kind of like the Bajon jumps out at you right away, like, oh yeah, this this is a different kind of player. Um, the guy that always gave the most trouble playing against in college, uh, same guy that gave me the most trouble playing against the NFL is a guy named Sam Adams at A and M. He uh, he always gave me uh, he was a challenge for me. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's go here then, and then we'll we'll close things out. I don't want to keep up too much of your time, but we're going to kind of go back to the current team now, and I want to get your opinion on one thing. Um, Tom Herman and, and Charlie Strong left this program in a certain state. And Steve Sarkeesian has come in and sort of changed the culture very quickly. Like it's especially, so here's a good example, the TCU game, that's a game that they lose, you know, any, any number of the last eight years. Yes. Uh, Something else goes wrong and they lose that game and they ended up winning. And I think Sark has a lot to do with that. What impresses you the most about Sark and, and what have you noticed about him? That's different than those last two guys. Let me make one comment, which you said earlier, and I'll, I'll talk about Sark because I do like Sark. And that is, y- if you look at Texas's athletic department, since the loss left to the time they hired Del Conte, those are the years that were trouble. And I would say it's not always just the coaches, it's all the way up. And until you have a good leader throughout the athletic department, you're going to struggle. And Texas evidence that we have the right guy now, which leads me to Del Conte because I'll. I'll mention this as well. If you remember, there was a time when every Texas fan was dying to have Urban Meyer as the next head coach. And Del Conte goes and hires a guy named Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, I think now if you were to talk to Texas fans, they feel like maybe we dodged a bullet with not getting Urban Meyer as the head coach. And I say all this because I have faith in Del Conte. And I had faith in Del Conte when he hired Sarkeesian because originally I had questions. It's like, ooh, I don't know if this is the right guy. But when I watch him, I do feel like he's the right guy. In something as simple, you know, I always say this about a head coach. A head coach, first and foremost, must be as stoic as Tom Landry on the sideline. When these guys get all heated and start screaming and yelling, the, the team reflects that. Your head coach needs to be that emblem of consistency, never too high, never too low, never panic, never worried. And I see all that in Sark. If you watch him, it's never too much for him. He's always calm, cool, and collected. And the team's starting to reflect that. Uh, and I think that's why they, they won that TCU game. There's never panic. They, they believed in what they're going to do. They believed in the coach. They believed in each other. And they will find a way to win that football game. And, and that is a big difference in the years past. To where I look at it, and I really think that Texas has finally got that coach and athletic director that's going to lead this program for the next 10-plus years. Okay, I'll get you out of here on this last one, and it's a quick one. What's it like to win a Super Bowl? It's not as much fun as playing in Texas OU football game, I'll tell you that much, but uh, (laughs) it's not. It really isn't. Winning a Super Bowl – I was fortunate. I was on two teams to win, and they were different. The first year – we were the underdogs, and it was a blast. We we beat Green Bay. We weren't supposed to be there. We were a wild card team, and I mean, it was just it, it was the at, the party after that Super Bowl was the best party I've ever been to. 
The next year we win the Super Bowl, we were the favorites. It was almost like a relief. The stress and pressure when you're the one supposed to win it was was heavy. So, uh, you know, but to this day, I kind of I look at both those rings and say to myself, man, I was very, very blessed to be a part of two great football teams and achieve this because no one can ever take that from you. Well, Dan, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I, uh, I hope we can do it again in the future, too, because uh, I'd love to get your thoughts even on this game uh, this weekend, later, you know, later next week or, or further down the road. It's, it's been a lot of fun, though, and uh, you know, we're looking forward to having you again. You just let me know when. I, I mean, my family's tired of hearing my old football story, so if you want to listen, I'll talk. Oh, man, we'll take all of them. We'll take every <laughs> single one of them. Anytime. But, uh, I enjoyed it. But yeah, I mean, that's going to do it for for part one of, of this podcast. Uh, stick around for part two. We're going to talk to uh, for another former Texas player, Phil Dawson, and uh, he'll be on the other side. We'll talk a little special teams and, and, and sort of kind of the same thing we did with Dan here. We'll talk a little bit of, about memories from the, from the game and, and memories from his college career and, and, and some of those things. So it, it should be pretty fun. But uh, but yeah, stick around and uh, we'll see you, see you after the break. Hey guys, welcome into part two of the long, this episode of Longhorns Country Podcast. Uh, now I'm joined by another very, very special guest. Uh, he's a former Texas great, former NFL great, all pro, all Big 12, uh, Phil Dawson. Phil, how's it going? Great, man. How are you? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. We, uh, we're very excited about Texas OU this week. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the best rivalries in college football. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those weeks where, um, you know, it's, it's hard really to describe the the tension in the state right now. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot going on on both sides. What is your um, best memory from the Texas OU game? Uh, any, any year, any, any kick, any, any play? What, what's your biggest memory? Well, I have three. One is more just a, a, a memory of a, a kid growing up in Dallas whose dad would take him down to the Cotton Bowl, not every year, but most years. And, uh, just a kid full of dreams and thinking, man, if I could ever play in this game, that would be uh, more than I could ever imagine. So that, you know, the memories of Texas OU game go back as long as I have memories. Uh, and then it, it, in terms of when I was actually at UT, um, you know, I made a kick in 97 uh, towards the end of the game to put us up more than one score, uh, 50 plus yard kick. And for a kid, like I said, growing up in Dallas, <clears throat> to uh, make a meaningful kick in that game uh, is truly one of my most special memories of my time there. And But to answer your question, my fondest memory was my senior year, 97, getting to lead my team out of the tunnel as a captain. And uh, I don't know how a moment could be more special than that. Just get the tunnel. It's well documented how special it is to even get to walk through that but to be a team captain in your hometown in your senior year and get to lead your team out to victory, uh, just overwhelming. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine. I, I grew up, uh, I grew up in Dallas as well. And I, I, my dad would take me to this game every year growing up. Um, it wasn't until I actually went to college that I, that I missed my first Texas OU game. And the atmosphere is truly indescribable. And I was actually at every single game that you're talking about with uh, that, that one where you made the kick and the one where you let him out of the tunnel. Uh, my brother was a spur on the team. Texas has been a, uh, a big part of our life for a long time. And I'm really excited to get down there this weekend. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about in terms of the matchup this weekend is – you know, obviously, Texas has had a very, very consistent person at the kicking spot. They've had Cameron Dicker. Uh, that's a huge advantage. A lot of teams, you know, they struggle to find that guy for a long time. What kind of – what does that do for a program to have a guy like Dicker who, who can not only be relied on to kick, not only be relied on to punt, he does it all, but he's just a consistent guy. He's clutch. What does that do for the confidence of a program? And what does that do for um, really, really the confidence of the team? You know, it's really hard to quantify. I mean, obviously you got points on the board. That part is easy to quantify, but uh, you know, when you're an offense and you're in a big game and going against a good defense, let's say you start a possession on your own 20 to know that you only have to go uh, 
you know, 45, 50 yards as opposed to 80, takes some of the pressure off of the offense. And so having a reliable kicker with a strong leg literally shortens the field. And so that takes some pressure uh, off your offense. Because if your offense is having to go 80 yards every drive, you're not going to score a lot of points. And then where it shows up for your defense is when you're kicking off. And uh, you create positive field position for your defense, uh, whether it's a touchback or pinning them deep in the corners and making tackles inside the 20. You know, the more green grass you put at your defense's back to start every possession is going to make your defense uh, more effective. And especially when you're going against a high-powered offense like Oklahoma is known for. So you can't uh, – it's a position that's widely misunderstood and underappreciated, but for those who – are in there trying to make it happen, you know, on Saturday in the Cotton Bowl, they will uh, find it very beneficial to have a guy like Cameron kicking for him. Yeah, for sure. And and he he's had a lot of big kicks in his career. And 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 Texas is uh, so you're a special teams coordinator now in in Tennessee at Lipscomb Academy. Yep. Um, that's your that's been the direction you've gone after your NFL career. I think it's very cool because I I think that um. I think that coaching is – is if I was good at football and I had an opportunity to play football, I would have loved to have been a coach uh, later down the line. I, I think I think the people who have the mind for that are just on another level. But so you have – you have since you do that and you've, you've kicked for so long, you have a special eye for the little things in football, uh, especially on the special team side, obviously. Texas brought in a new special teams coach this year. Um, what are your impressions of him and the things they've done and the way that ways that they've improved so far um, since last year, the year before, the year before, where they haven't been as consistent? And this year, they're they're out there blocking punts and they're out there blocking kicks, and it seems like they're making a bunch of impact plays on that side of the ball. Yeah, they're playing with confidence, and that sounds like one of those coach speak things. But uh, years past, it looked like we were a unit just trying to avoid making a mistake. Uh, not really trying to make things happen. You saw a lot of fair catches on returns. You saw seldomly did you see rushes on a punt block, field goal block, just pretty much trying to avoid a mistake and hand the ball off to the offense or defense. I think now you're seeing a unit that's looking to make plays. They're playing with confidence, and that comes from a coach who knows what he's doing. And it's, you know, it's no mistake or no coincidence that we're making plays. Sorry, that's my dog. But uh, <laughs> that's okay. It's, it's no coincidence that they're making plays because it all starts with a coach who formulates a plan. You know, are we going to be aggressive? Are we going to go make things happen? Or are we just going to try to play it safe? And hopefully we don't screw credit to, to him, credit to the players buying in because it is a pretty stark contrast to what it was in the past. And boy, you can really identify those teams that play aggressively on special teams because most don't. Why do you think it is that special teams is so underappreciated when it so many impact plays can come from that side of the ball? Like, like we, I mean, like we mentioned the block kicks, the block punts, the, you know, the, the touchbacks, the, the, the clutch field goals, all of that stuff. Why, why is it so underappreciated? Man, that's the million dollar question. Uh, it's misunderstood. Uh and I think because of that, it probably doesn't get as much attention as it should. No one likes to hang out in the areas they're not knowledgeable in, right? We all cling to the areas we kind of know. So, it's, for example, it's always baffled me uh, that, you know, you can have a quarterback who may be struggling with accuracy, and there's someone on your staff who knows enough about the fundamentals of throwing that he could – provide some instruction for your quarterback to fix his technique, or let's say a corner is slow, you know, he's backpedaling and he's struggling getting out of his break and covering a receiver. There's somebody on your staff that understands the techniques required for a corner to, you know, flip his hips and close the gap and, and play the ball. So there's all these resources all around the different skill sets in football, but when it comes to snapping, holding, kicking, punting, there's no one. And so basically when, when a snapper, a holder, a kicker, a punter uh, hit a hit a rough patch, which, by the way, we all do, uh, they're pretty much just told, go over there on that, that empty field by yourself and figure it out. And then where it really shows up for your team is now, you know, the person that's in charge of formulating an overall special teams game plan, they put in a scheme or a plan without any understanding of the actual kick. 
and every special teams play starts with a kick. So it's, it'd be like installing an offensive game plan without taking into consideration the skill set of your quarterback. It just doesn't make any sense. So when it comes to special teams, you'll have these guys, they go to seminars and clinics and all that, and they, they learn all this cool whiteboard stuff uh, that looks good, sounds good. Man, we're going to go back to campus. We're going to use that. And then they, they go back and they try to implement it, and they don't have the kicker or punter who can actually uh, execute the kick that makes that scheme work. So, you know, it. sorry for me getting on my uh, soapbox there, but that's been my experience. Uh, that's why it's such an opportunity to uh, have an advantage on your opponent if you're one of those schools or teams that chooses to invest in that area because there are some knowledgeable guys around like Texas has now. Uh, but mostly teams are just trying to survive fourth down. They coach by committee. The running back coach will do punt. The linebacker coach will do kickoff. They're just trying to, you know, they devote 90% of their time to their offensive and defensive uh, position. And they just kind of, the crumbs are left to special teams and it shows up on Saturdays. Yeah, and I, I, I've always been one of those people who really has an appreciation for special teams for one reason, because I just think, I think the kick return for a touchdown and the punt return for a touchdown are two of the, the coolest plays in football. Uh, I think they have probably the biggest moment, that and a block, a block kick. Yep. Those are the biggest momentum swings in the game. It's, it's bigger than an interception. It's bigger than a sack or a fumble or anything like that. And I, and I 100% agree. I tell my units, you know, we're, we're the spark plugs. We, we provide the momentum and the energy for our team. And that's obviously a huge factor in what special teams does. But even beyond that, the slow exchange of field position over the course of a game, uh, you, can't, you can't overstate how important it is. And if you study statistics, analytics, you know, the drive start, whether it's defensive drive start, offensive drive start, uh, next to turnovers is one of the most influential, uh, you know, ingredients that in any game that affects the outcome. So the more, the less green grass your offense has to go on average to start a drive, and the more green grass your defense has at its back to start a drive has a direct outcome uh, on the game. So, uh, yeah, the big plays are awesome. They bring a lot of juice, and that's a huge part of what special teams does. But even absent of that, just slowly exchanging field position you know we punt at 48 yards they get a three yard return that's 45 yards for us they punt at 40 yards we return at 20 that's only 20 for them we've already gained 25 yards of field position and over the course of the game you can imagine how many yards that winds up being yeah definitely and the, as far as the longhorns go um what are some things that you've noticed like Okay, so so here's one thing that I that really stands out to me is they have starting players on, on punt coverage and kick coverage. Like they have DeMarvion Overshown running down the field after a punt. What are some things that you've noticed about about that and about like how, how how I guess my question is how much of an impact does it have when starting players are willing to go on special teams and make plays like that when um, it's that's that's not always the case. A lot of times it's the backups here, like the, the second string corner there is, is, is doing this or, or whatever. Uh, how much of a difference does that make? Well, I think it speaks to the mentality of the coaching staff. Uh, they truly believe in the importance of field position and energy. Uh, and so why would you not have your best players on the field? You know, my, my four years in San Francisco, when we were trying to get to a Super Bowl, but that was right during Seattle's run with the Legion of Boom and all that. I can remember preparing for those guys because we'd play them twice a year. And man, they have Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and, and they're starting middle linebackers. And I mean, they had starters from that, that heralded defense all over the place on special teams. And it, you know, surprise, surprise, they made their Super Bowl run. I think they made two in three years and won one. So, you know, teams that choose to invest in special teams, it starts with hiring a coach who knows what he's doing, not doing it coach by committee. Then you choose to put your best players on the field because you understand how important it is for your team. And that's what I'm talking about. You have such a great opportunity just by making those two decisions to make an impact on the game and have an advantage on your opponents because most most places, are, they're going to play the young players, backups, guys learning the ropes, You know, maybe super talented physically but don't understand football yet. And so as a result, there's going to be mistakes and uh, the teams that choose not to do that are going to take advantage of that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, so I kind of want to change gears here and talk a little bit more about the game this weekend. 
yep. and and the program kind of at large. Um, what are some things that you're seeing from Texas so far early this season, and that maybe where they've improved and, and things since? Because obviously the the Arkansas game went terribly. Yeah. Um, but it seems like they've rebounded since then. What are some things that you've noticed that they've been doing better and some things that maybe they can take advantage of this weekend against Oklahoma? So what I've noticed on the three phases, let, let's talk offense first. Anytime you can run the ball, you're going to be hard to handle. And uh, obviously they've established the ability to run the ball. And when you do that, you can control the game, control the clock. You can dictate the terms of the game. And then when you get a lead, you can run the clock out. So, uh, the fact that we can run the ball so effectively uh, is a credit to all those guys. I know, I know Bijan's going to get most of the credit, and he deserves it. He's, he's unbelievable. The big boys up front paving the way, and the commitment to stick with the run, because if you'll notice, sometimes those two, three-yard runs early don't look great. But those two, three-yard runs later in the game, when you start wearing down the defense, become five, six, and then eventually you break a big one. So if, it's, if it weren't for your commitment to running the ball, uh, you'd probably bail after the first couple two, three-yard runs. So that's it on offense. Uh, defense, I, you know, I, through the years, it seemed like we've been in the right place, but we miss a lot of tackles. A lot of guys going off the diving board, jumping at guys' feet, and it's just so aggravating as a fan. You know, you see guys there, and it seems like we can't ever make the tackle with our first guy. Uh, this year, it seems like we're tackling better. So not only do we have guys flying around being in the right place, now that first guy is making the tackle. So <clears throat> there's a physicality to both offense and defense, running the ball, tackling well. That's really, you know, encouraging to see, and that's going to serve us well as we go down the uh, home stretch of the Big 12 schedule. And then obviously, like I said, on special teams, just the aggressiveness, playing starters, uh, having – having a, they ran a little counter last week in their, against TCU for big kickoff returns. That was fun to see. Most people wouldn't. Uh, notice it but pretty intricate return and so there, there's some exotic stuff going on from week to week so pretty exciting to see and with the athletes we have I would expect us to keep making big plays so uh, a lot of good stuff there uh, and the fact that they were able to respond after the Arkansas game uh, shows a lot about the character of the team the confidence of the coaching staff so uh, there's a lot of positive stuff going on. So you mentioned Bijan Robinson and I've, I've, I've had a couple of guests on this week, and I've asked them all the same question. It's kind of a two-part question. One, have you ever seen a running back quite like Bijan Robinson with his, his power and his shiftiness and his speed? And two, if he, if he has a big game against Oklahoma and, and – and, you know, runs for 200 yards like he did last week, say, against TCU. Is he the Heisman front runner? Man, those are great questions. Uh, he's very – he's a very unique running back. Uh, he's got the power of a big back. Uh, if you notice, he's always falling forward after contact. Uh, and then he's got the elusiveness of a, of a jitterbug. I mean, no one gets a really good shot on him. I think – Somebody in that TCU game actually got a pretty good shot on him, and it was like, whoa, that's the first time I've ever seen that. But uh, rarely do you see a running back that has both. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of playing with the best running back I've ever seen in my life, and that was Ricky Williams. And uh, Ricky was powerful. Uh, he'd stick it up in there between the tackles. Uh, he'd finish runs. Uh, just was, was incredible. You know, I, I think – uh, Bijan has a, has potential to start climbing the charts into that category. Uh, I know that's tall cotton. It's real early, but uh, I've never been one to limit a guy uh, guy's potential and, and dare to dream. So I think his ability to finish runs, his ability to be elusive, he also has proven to be a capable pass catcher, which you know will make him a three down back. Uh, you know at the next level. I think the future is extremely bright. And if he goes off against Oklahoma, which I think he will, uh, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be in the consideration for a Heisman Trophy winner. Because when you're a, when you're over a thousand yard rusher at the University of Texas, you're going to be there. Yeah, for sure. And, and the fact that he's in the conversation with, I mean, all the great running backs that Texas has had, you know, um, 
and we know we're obviously we're not just talking for for the younger listeners we're not just talking Deontay Foreman Jamal Charles Cedric Benson I mean Ricky Williams Earl Campbell Hodges Mitchell Priest Holmes all these guys and and Bijan might be the most uniquely talented out of that entire group and that's that's really saying something Um, I'm not saying he's the best but in, we'll in terms of, in ter- yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see. But in terms of the unique ability that he has, I, I think he's kind of separated himself in that regard. But, um, okay, let me ask you a couple more and then I'll let you get out of here. One, obviously changing a coaching staff and, and a head coach is always a big undertaking. And it's a big risk. You know, it's, it's something that takes years to build. Um, but Steve Sarkeesian has has come in and gone four and one in his first five games. And they suffered a major setback against Arkansas, but his team is rebounded. And now they're playing really as good as anyone else in the country. I mean, in, in any year in the past, that TCU game, the way that it was going would have been a loss uh, under, under Tom Herman or Charlie Strong. Um what are some things that you that you notice about Sarkeesian that really impress you and, and how do you what are your impressions of the direction of the program so far in his first few months? I think his confidence is just, it, it permeates everything he does. There's, there's no flinch. Uh, he's not, he's not doing things to earn other people's approval. He's doing what he uh, believes in and that confidence is contagious. I think you got a coaching staff that's piggybacking off that. I think you got players who are starting to play that way. Like you said, TCU game, things aren't going great. Oh, here we go again. There was none of that. They're confident in the plan. They're confident they can execute. And so uh, just even his demeanor on the sideline, when you look at him, uh, it never seems rattled. Everything's under control. After the Arkansas defeat, very calm, uh, knew knew exactly what the team needed to do. And, you know, you're going to have these highs and lows and pluses and minuses throughout the course of a long season. And you need that steady personality at the at the helm that can navigate through all the chaos, both good and bad. And so I think his confidence uh, is, is a tangible thing the players feel, and they're they're playing confident uh, confidently. And and uh, obviously he knows his stuff. I mean, good grief, his offense is incredible. And imagine what that's going to look like uh, when he gets more of his guys in there and has more time with the current guys to, to teach him his offense. So uh, credit to him, you know, he came in highly acclaimed for his passing attack and uh, he got on campus and recognized that he has a generational talent at running back and uh, the offense is uh, catering to that right now. So it shows his uh, versatility, his, uh, his encompassing knowledge of all offense and, uh, and, you know, especially as we project down the road going to the SEC, we better be able to run the ball uh, because that's been the tried and true uh, method of being effective in that conference. So uh, a lot of great stuff going on. Uh, I think we got the right hire and the future's bright. I'm glad you mentioned the SEC, Phil, because that's kind of where I want to go next. Obviously, that's a big, big deal, not just for Texas and Oklahoma, but for the entire um, you know, landscape of college football, it's going to change everything. What are your, what are your, you know, what, what are your feelings on the move? How do you feel about leaving, you know, you, you, you were part of the big 12 at, at its inception. And now that, yeah, it's, you know, it's still, it's still going to be there, but it's not going to be the same. It's kind of turning into the old big East when it was just kind of that other major conference that nobody really, yeah. really cares about. How do you feel about the move? You know, I'm personally, I'm, I'm a big geographic conference guy so my first two years at Texas were still the old Southwest Conference and that's what I grew up with and uh, that that back in that day and I'm sounding like an old guy now but uh, back in that day all the conferences were regional and then all of a sudden stuff started changing it was kind of hard to leave Southwest Conference but uh, the Big 12 still was somewhat regional and it kind of made sense so I kind of wrapped my mind around that a little bit Uh, today's college football game there are no more regional conferences uh so the fact that we're going to join the premier conference in college football, that only makes sense. We're one of the premier programs. Uh, we need to be playing against the premier teams in the, in the country. And uh, I think it's going to be great for everyone. I mean, why would 
uh, Texas stay in a conference that's, like you said, becoming kind of that afterthought. Uh, we should be front and center in anything that has to do with college football. And I think moving to the SEC will uh, make that possible. And uh, we better buckle our chin straps because it's going to be an every week deal. Uh, but I know we'll be ready. You excited to get that rivalry going again with yeah. A&M? Man, I, that's that's what I'm most – you know, people have been asking me, what are you most excited about? Is it playing Alabama? Is it playing Georgia? I'm like, nope, it's Thanksgiving. And I hope the schedule makers do it right. Uh, it just hasn't been the same since that game went away. And it's great for the state. I think it'll be great for high school players because uh, when, when it's rolling, when that rivalry is going and you're a high school kid in Texas, you don't – decide between the two schools you're either an Aggie or you're a Longhorn and uh that is fun that's how the rivalry should be and I think the fact that we're going to be playing them every year is good for everyone involved and boy it'll make Thanksgiving the way it should be again yeah it's it really hasn't been the same I mean what, what was the last one 2012 I think somewhere in there and um you know you, you know my brother and uh, oh yeah and uh you know, growing up, that was Thanksgiving was always my favorite holiday because of that game. Hundred percent. So you know, Josh and I would watch that together. Um, and you know, when he was in school, we would come down and and go to those games. I mean, I was at the the one against A and M where where Ricky broke the all time rushing record, and that was still to this day the coolest thing I've ever experienced in a professional sport. So I, I'm I'm very excited it's coming back. Um, and this is going to be my last question for you, Phil. And it's a little, it, we're kind of changing directions on it. And I, you know, it's, um, you are one of the few people who have played professional football who actually have impacted the game in a way where they made a rule, uh, based off of you. It's called the Phil Dawson rule. Can you explain that to everyone, how that happened, why it happened and, and give us kind of a, an overview of that and just clear it up for us. <laughs> Yeah, we were uh, – I was with Cleveland at the time. We were playing at Baltimore, down three, uh, game-time field goal at the buzzer, 51-yarder, left hash. Wind always blows right to left in that end of the stadium, so I, I aimed a little right center. Ball curved a little more than I thought, and as it was passing through the goal, goal post, it glanced off the inside of the left upright, and it ricocheted towards – the middle stanchion, not the crossbar, but the curved bar behind the crossbar. It then struck the uh, stanchion and bounced straight up in the air and went back into the end zone. Still don't know how a ball that travels 51 yards hits a curved bar pointing away and bounces back to you. I, I have no idea. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the referees initially signaled no good because the ball landed in the end zone. And so Baltimore was, you know, thought they won the game, started going in the locker room. As we were leaving the field, uh, I noticed the referees were huddled. And soon thereafter, they made an announcement that they were going to go review the play. Funny part was back in, I think this was 2005, uh, referees were not allowed to review a field goal. But thank God they did. And they noticed once they looked at it that, you know, the ball crossed through the plane of the field goal uh, went over the crossbar because the stanchion obviously is behind the crossbar. Well, because it did that, they ruled it a made field goal. So now we're tied. We went to overtime and actually were able to win on a field goal there. So it was a big deal. Baltimore raised all kind of cane. They kind of had a point. Uh, why are y'all reviewing a field goal that you're not allowed to review? And so that uh, following off season at the rules meetings, owners meetings, uh, they voted to uh, make a new rule that any kick that passes through the goalpost is reviewable. Uh, and they named that after that event. So 21 years in the league, there's my legacy. <laughs> uh, so, it, it, you know, I don't know how many times that's ever going to happen again. Uh, we got close the other night with Justin's kick at Detroit that hit the cro uh, crossbar and bounced straight up. Uh, and then went in. Uh, so I guess there, there, there's probably going to be a time where that rule is used. But uh, I think it was put in place just so they could cover their rear end in the event something crazy like that happens again. Is that your favorite kick that you've made in your career? Or is like there another one? one? Well, I mean, I had missed a game winner at 
Pittsburgh the week before that kick. And so when I saw those referees signal no good again, I thought I had lost my job. I mean, two, <laughs> week, two weeks in a row, come up short. Uh, so for them to reverse course and uh, for our team to have a chance to go win it in overtime, that I think the overtime kick was a little more special to me. But you know what? When you, when you, uh, when you live the life of a kicker, uh, you realize that every kick is life or death. Uh, obviously, everyone always remembers the big ones at the end of games, but the 32-yarder in the first quarter is just as important. So it's kind of a uh, all-or-nothing type experience. And looking back on it, I, I love them all, especially when they found their home, and I try to forget the ones that didn't. <laughs> Well, Phil, it's it's really been an honor having you on the podcast. Uh, we uh, we love you know we love having former players on and, and uh, being able to have an All Pro, All Big Twelve, All Time Longhorn is is really something special. So we really appreciate it. Uh, this was this has been a lot of fun, and we'll have to have you on again sometime. And I appreciate it. It's it's great to talk Longhorn football, and obviously, uh, gotten to know you through your brother and known your brother a long time. Respect him greatly. So. Uh, hopefully, hopefully all Longhorn fans will show up in Big D, be loud, uh, enjoy the, the experience because there's no other game like it in all of college football. That is an absolute fact. All right, so that's going to do it again for another episode of Longhorns Country Podcast. Uh, we are going to be back next week to review the game with uh, SI Sooners probably on Monday or Tuesday, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, but until then, you know, just go watch the Longhorns and uh, – like, rate, and subscribe, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yes, sir. We'll be back. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye.